transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. The moon high in the sky on the kind of night when the brujas turn into coyotes and owls and squawking night jars. When the desert world comes to life after a long, bright, quiet day. When, if you are so blessed Strange little lights dance in the sky above you. And clusters of brilliant yellow orbs tumble over the mountain ridge, hovering just inches above the sandy wash as they tumble ever closer to your campsite. The witch lights, the fairy lights, the ghost lights and the spook lights, the foufoule and the friar's lanterns. This is Desert Oracle Radio. With soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. We've got your Mojave Desert Roads report for this first weekend of June. Please make a note of all closures and road conditions that may affect your travel as cell phone service is spotty and unreliable throughout the Mojave wilderness. You can't count on it. It's one of the reasons to pay attention when you first lose your signal coming up the grade to Morongo Valley because of the 300,000 or so years that humans have existed in our current configuration. 
widespread cell phone service that has been around in the Mojave Desert for approximately seven of those years. Seven out of 300,000. Zizek's Road is closed due to storm damage and, quote, repeated use, which is sort of what roads are made for. Zizek's Road is closed from I-15 to the CSU Desert Studies Center, which is the entire length of the paved road. It's scheduled for opening in... Mid-June. I don't know if that's mid-June of this year. The SEMA road is closed from SEMA to I-15. This is an Alert 1 severity closure. Should be reopening, let's see, March of 2024. So take an alternate route. Until then, Black Canyon Road is closed between Hole in the Wall and Mid Hills Campgrounds. No way through, don't try it. Barricades on either side. Chasms opening up in the dirt roadway. Many vehicles have been consumed. Access to and from Hole in the Wall is only via Essex Road and Interstate 40. Tatonia Peak Trail can only be accessed by high-clearance four-wheel drive vehicles with heavy-duty tires from the Aiken Mine Jeep Trail. Kelbaker Road between Baker and Kelso has sort of reopened after a long closure due to thunderstorms washing away various parts of the road surface. Current road is loose gravel, no lanes, no center line. Motorists are advised to go very slowly and keep alert at all times, every second of every minute. Kelso Depot is completely closed. Not just the lunch counter, which never reopened after the last guy split a decade or so ago, but the entire depot, the whole building, catastrophic failure of air conditioning system. That's the note here. I guess they need to call the air conditioning repairman. Might take a while. To get your National Parks passport stamped within Mojave National Preserve, proceed to Hole in the Wall Campground Visitor Center 
But do remember that Hole in the Wall is only accessible via Essex Road from Interstate 40. Not from Interstate 15, an hour to the north. Kel Baker Road from Kelso Dunes south to I-40 is still missing pavement in many sections. Very rough road. Drivers are advised to travel slowly, but also be aware of the dangers of traveling too slowly. Especially late at night when it's impossible to see who or what is waiting along the sides of the damaged road. Mojave Road is closed around Paiute Canyon. Please use the 40-mile dirt road southern detour east of Landfair Road. Watch out for deep sand and various obstructions. No services on this or any roads within the Mojave Preserve. Conditions for Castle Mountains National Monument. On the northeastern boundary of Mojave National Preserve, there are no visitor facilities available. Roads are mostly washed out Jeep tracks like to remind visitors that there is no water and there is no way out unless you come back the way you came in. Star Mine Road between Nipton and Sema is missing various sections of pavement. Drive with caution, especially because a late model Ford Expedition from Cathedral City will be coming around the next blind curve at 85 miles per hour or so. It has been a mild and beautiful spring in the Mojave, and it has lasted a lot longer than springtime usually lasts out here. But do not let a mild morning fool you. Technically, spring goes through to the summer solstice coming up at the end of this new month. Another whole month of official springtime, but in the desert, it's usually a memory around early March. So this springtime has been a blessing, a blessing from St. Minerva. (laughs) 
Alpha and Omega of the Mojave. There is no other. Mild weather is the beginning of a lot of last hikes. Especially at Amboy Crater. And Joshua Tree National Park, 25-year-old Trammell Evans vanished after being dropped off at Black Rock Campground. Supposedly for a hike he'd done before. It has been more than a month now. Search and rescue has come up with nothing. Last year, a number of bodies turned up in and around the National Park, all between the Joshua Tree entrance and the Yucca Valley end of the park. That's the northwestern section of the park. The National Park actually goes for about another hundred miles east. Hardly anybody ever goes out there. It's not a hundred miles. That's an exaggeration. It's actually 70 miles end to end. East to west. There's a lot of desert in there. You just never know where you're going to find a dead person, you know? Human remains, as they say in the business. When my dog comes trotting up with a big old sun bleach bone hanging out of his mouth, I just say, look, man, I don't want to know. I'm trying to meditate over here. It's too late in the year for any sort of physical effort. A good time to park yourself in the nine or ten inches of shade you can get from a Joshua tree. And read some books about the five centuries of hybrid witchcraft and sorcery and native religion and old world magic in the American Southwest. From the Rio Grande to the Pacific, five centuries of medieval Spanish supernatural beliefs and practices forced upon the people of the Americas already had their suspicions and folk healers and sorcerers and shapeshifters and gods and underworlds. The 
This is a land of roadside altars, of living room shrines, botanicas full of magical votive candles, money spells and love potions, astrologers and psychics and witches of all varieties. Folk healers and fortune tellers to mad wizards with intent to curse and kill. You know, Carlos Castaneda went looking for the secrets in the California and Mexican deserts and wound up making up his own system that he packaged and sold to spiritually-minded hippies and new-agers of the 1970s. Eight million copies of Castaneda's Don Juan books were sold. Let's see, what's eight million times? What do you get for a book these days? 75 cents a copy, I think. satisfying book called Witchcraft in the Southwest, Spanish and Indian Supernaturalism on the Rio Grande by Mark Simmons. Originally published in 1974 by Northland Press and Flagstaff. One of the first things that caught my eyes right there in the introduction, it's a quote from the Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper columnist and Kiowa Indian author N. Scott Momaday. Quote, there are witches at Jemez Pueblo and when I lived there, I knew of them, sure enough. One night I saw some curious lights away in the distance, small points of light moving erratically about at ground level, and I was told that they were witch lights. Nonsense, I thought. There are some boys running around with flashlights up there, that's all. And then one of the lights rose slowly and then moved like a shooting star across the whole expanse of the sky. I shudder to think about it. It reminded me of a couple of sections from William Butler Yeats' beautiful collection of Irish supernatural folklore and mysticism, The Celtic Twilight. First published in 1893 with an expanded edition put out in 1902. The modern world was already barging into Ireland's ancient rustic culture with its significant retention of the pre-Catholic pagan belief systems. Yates. 
One night, a middle-aged man who had lived all his life far from the noise of cab wheels, a young girl, a relation of his, who was reported to be enough of a seer to catch a glimpse of unaccountable lights moving over the fields among the cattle, and myself were walking along a far western sandy shore. his first mention of anomalous lights moving over the countryside. The young girl identified as a seer, one with the second sight, appears in a later chapter called The Old Town, an event Yates describes as taking place one night in 1888. We had come under some trees that made the road very dark when the girls saw a bright light moving slowly across the road. Her brother and myself saw nothing. and did not see anything until we had walked for about half an hour along the edge of the river and down a narrow lane to some fields where there was a ruined church covered with ivy and the foundations of what was called the Old Town, which had been burned down, it was said, in Cromwell's day. We had stood for some few minutes, so far as I can recollect, looking over the fields full of stones and brambles and elder bushes, when I saw a small bright light on the horizon, as it seemed, mounting up slowly towards the sky. Then we saw other faint lights for a minute or two, and at last a bright flame, like the flame of a torch moving rapidly over the river. We saw it all in such a dream, and it all seemed so unreal. But I have never written of it until now, and hardly ever spoken of it. And even when thinking, because of some unreasoning impulse, I have avoided giving it weight and the argument. Perhaps I have felt that my recollections of things seen when the sense of reality was weakened must be untrustworthy. That sense of unreality was all the more wonderful because the next day I heard sounds as unaccountable as were those lights and without any emotion of unreality and I remember them with perfect distinctness and confidence the girl was sitting and reading under a large old fashioned mirror and I was reading and writing a couple of yards away when I heard a sound as if a shower of peas had been thrown against the mirror. And while I was looking at it, I heard the sound again. 
And presently, while I was alone in the room, I heard a sound as if something much bigger than a pea had struck the wainscoting beside my head. And after that, for some days, came other sights and sounds, not to me, but to the girl, to her brother, and to the servants. Now it was a bright light. Now it was letters of fire that vanished before they could be read. Now it was a heavy foot moving about in the seemingly empty house. One wonders whether creatures who live, as the country people believe, wherever men and women have lived in earlier times, followed us from the ruins of the old town. Or did they come from the banks of the river by the trees where the first light had shone for that first moment? becomes tremendously more interesting, more magical, more mystifying. That young friend of W.B. Yeats probably would have never considered little space-suited Marvin the Martian astronauts from afar as the cause of the silent, graceful fairy lights moving through the cattle fields and leaping across the star-filled sky. Amboy to Zizek's across the great Mojave wilderness, riding on the backs of radio waves where the road is not passable. This is Desert Oracle Radio with Desert Soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. And I'm your host, Ken Lane. On the air, Friday nights, 10 p.m., KCDZ 107.7 on your FM dial. In the Mojave Desert, Saturday nights on KZMU at 9 p.m. in Moab, Utah, in the Castle Valley. If you listen to Desert Oracle, there's a chance you love desert history. So this may be of interest. The Morongo Basin Historical Museum's grand reopening happens Saturday, June 3rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at 632 Landers Lane in Landers. I'm going to name my next uh, dog or child Landers Lane. What a name. Thanks for listening. 
Heed those road warnings and good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs>